Welcome to the Maze Marketing Podcast. This isn't another podcast about marketing tricks and hacks, but about building effective marketing systems, beating marketing overwhelm, and communicating your expertise. With your hosts, Rob Drummond and Jonathan Wilson. So on this first episode of the Maze Marketing Podcast, Jonathan and I talk about remarketing, which is really one of the core marketing strategies for 2019 and beyond. Um, Most people are doing remarketing badly. Uh, Jonathan is a real expert in the technical setup of remarketing, and this conversation talks about remarketing both from a technical perspective, but also from a content perspective as well. So I really think you'll find this useful. Let's jump straight into the conversation. You're... So your your first point say about the retargeting journey. Uh, so okay, so I guess the first question is like, is there a difference between retargeting and remarketing? Because both of these terms get thrown around. Um, and what is that difference? Because I, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, officially there's not. If you if you look a little, which it, it, the the question bugs me. If you look a little into the history of it, uh, remarketing was the phrase that was around first, and it meant. Uh, it really meant any kind of follow-up. So before there even was an internet, uh, catalog companies and, and direct mail companies and whatever would do follow-up. So you, you get a, a, a lead, a contact one way, and then you follow up through many other channels. And that was what was originally called remarketing. Now, uh, technically doing the same to me, then doing the same with online ads kind of fits into that same universe. And I prefer to call just the digital part retargeting. And I, we've had some debates about this in Mike Rhodes' group and session. There's kind of a, uh, it's about 50-50, but there's a few other folks who agree with me. The problem, though, is that then when Google actually came out with the thing and Facebook and wrote up their documents and all, they call it remarketing in their official documents. So <laughs> they confuse the issue. I love it when you find out about these things, though, and you find out that actually these things are a lot older than Google. Yeah, like, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense. It's like, oh, actually, this isn't just like some brand new shiny object. That, uh... Exactly. Yeah, it's been it's been around for a while, and and all these companies do it because it works. But now we can do it online too. Nice. Okay. So, big picture, how it works. Uh, do you want to talk? Talk me through. Yeah. Sure. Talk so, through. in general, uh, of course, you would want to start with. Uh, I'm going to kind of jump into the deep end a little bit. If you've never seen an online ad before and don't know how it works, this might be a little confusing, but in general, the point is, is that you, you do something to get a customer to your website. There's, there's more than web involved, but you would presumably focus on that. You would do something to get somebody to your website. And that something could be a pay-per-click ad. It could also be something else. It could be a social media post be a piece of mail uh, maybe maybe you ran a billboard or a TV ad whatever it takes to get somebody to your site well if you don't have remarketing then uh, just for just for humor let's pretend you use the billboard okay you put up a billboard you're paying four hundred dollars a month and uh, you got people to your site well the only way to ever get that same person back again would be to keep that billboard up and of course you'd have to then be you know buying other billboards and and changing your story otherwise people are going to get bored with your message and and they're not going to come back again uh same same with anything so uh a couple years ago i was helping a local client and we were looking at the possibility of doing a tv ad 
for him. I went with him to the local station and listened to the uh, advertising presentation. Uh, and when we left, the client said, he leaned over to me and said, did you notice that the price they were asking for was the price of a BMW for six months worth of advertising? And did you notice that I don't drive a BMW? <laughs> so you, you get the idea that depending on who we're talking about, it can it, the, the front end actions to get somebody to your site the first time can be very expensive. Well, if you have retargeting, then what you've done is when somebody touches your site, your ad account can now, not, not everybody, but people who are within the network, Google's network, Facebook's network, uh, are now identified. And now it's much cheaper to just simply show them ads falling on after that uh, repeatedly. Whereas the, the reason I told all that other bit first about the expense of getting somebody there to your site the first time was just to contrast the fact that cold can be very expensive. And if you don't capture that cold traffic where you can recycle it, you are kind of stuck in purgatory of repeating your your cold traffic front end attraction uh, actions you're over the most, and over. You're the billboard gods and the yeah. Facebook machine. Uh, and actually, Facebook's gotten really expensive, I think. It is certainly going up, yeah, you, and it has been for years, and I don't think it's going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's, um, that's kind of the, the biggest possible overview. Um, you were about to ask a question. No, no, no. I was, okay, well, I, I was about to ask whether, so we, we've obviously talked about people visiting your website. Are you doing much in terms of importing existing prospects, customers? You can do that as well. So um, most of the platforms provide a way where you can upload your, at least your customers' emails. In some cases, you can identify them even if you don't have email addresses. So uh, by name, by street address, by phone number. Um, that's good news for a lot of offline and local businesses because not all companies have email records, but all, most companies, if they, if they maintain contacts at all, uh, at least have a name and a phone number, right? So that, that goes for almost anybody. You can uh, literally just upload a spreadsheet, a list of that info into your ad platform. Um, generally speaking, Facebook is a little better at this than Google. They will usually identify about 80% of your list members. There's going to be some names and numbers and emails on there that they just don't recognize. They don't know who it is. Yeah, uh, if you've got, you got a number, that's probably more reliable, I think, isn't it? Than an email uh, phone number? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, would, would they match up? Because, uh, I, mm. I mean, like for me, for example, I have like 17 different email addresses, um, whereas I have one. One phone number. One phone number. I've, I've never looked into it, and I've never heard a stat on that, but it sure makes sense, doesn't it? Because that, that is the point, is that if, if, I, if I go to your business and I fill out a, a, you know, I'm in the store and I fill out any kind of uh, sign-up sheet, I may give you my personal email, whereas uh, in my case, I actually do have a different email for Facebook, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Same for Google. Um, maybe, you know, maybe they've... Uh, maybe their personal email address is something at yahoo.com and they've had it for 20 years, yeah, yeah. but then somewhere along the way they went to sign up for Google services and they got a new Gmail account, but they don't actually use it. So then there's the kind of mismatch there. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so that's, that's kind of some logic behind why not everybody is found, but for those that ever have put their name uh, or, or email or address into the, the network, um, they'll be identified. So usually for Facebook, it's, it's most of them. Google tends to be a little worse, usually about uh, 
60% seems to be more common for Google. Uh, that is simply because Facebook is a whole lot better at extracting information out of people <laughs> one way or the other. There was a time a few years ago where every time I would look into Facebook, they would be, I'd see this small message at the top like, what's your mobile number? What's your mobile number? What's your yeah. mobile number? And I refuse yeah. to give it to them. Yeah, and you, you still see that. They're, they're maybe not as aggressive about that now, but you'll still see. Uh, my, mine is still asking me what college I went to. I didn't go to college, so I, I didn't fill it out. They're, they're probably going to keep asking me that forever. So, yeah. yeah. So that's one. So once those people have either touched your website and been, uh, we call it pixeled, it's just like digitally identified. And it's not really the person. It's more like they were already logged into Facebook. They came to your website and now the Facebook pixel can see, oh, that's, that's so-and-so internally. Um, either that or we've got this customer list like you were talking about uh, just a minute ago. And in either case, we set up what's called an audience. Now, an audience is just uh, a digital pool collection of people who, again, have been uh, identified by the system. And so you can tell, rather than just saying, hey, show my ads to uh, everybody in Texas or everybody in London or whatever, you say specifically, show my ads only to these people who are in, in my list or have touched my website. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, just to go back to the CRM thing, so, uh, so to the to the data import um, where you're importing customer lists, prospect lists. Uh, I use a connector service between my CRM system and Facebook so that if someone, so if, if someone has clicked on an email in the last seven days, for example, they get added to a clicked in last seven days audience in Facebook, but I'm not actually manually uploading that or anything. Yeah. That's awesome. I haven't, I've, I've explored those tools. I haven't had a good reason to use them, but yes, that's a great way to do it. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that's a pretty good overview of like, are there any of like common, common terms that we haven't really explained? That's a good question. Um, we ought to make a glossary for that someday. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. So obviously, if you're, as I mentioned at the beginning, if you're totally new to digital online marketing as a whole, then all these terms like uh, uh, clicks and audiences and uh, uh, all the all the cost-related terms like cost per click, CPC, CPA, cost per acquisition, that stuff's going to be new to you. Um, I, I don't think there's anything we just said that's totally out of the ordinary. Go to support.google.com. Yeah, there you go. Forward slash AdWords. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so so we talked about what triggers an ad to start. So you go on someone's website, or you're a customer of theirs. Potentially, uh, they're probably the most common ones, I guess. Yes. Um, what commonly seems to happen then is that is that an advertiser. So a lot of the negative connotations around retargeting or remarketing are to do with advertisers following you around the internet for like... You're creepy. You're, yeah, you're creepy. You're creepy. Yeah. So, so. I actually had someone tell me that just last night. Not, not about me, but they had, uh, they had done something that caused an ad to trigger. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really to do with duration, doesn't it? So perhaps... Yeah. I mean, do you want to comment on that? Sure. So, well, there's two things about it that probably... One of the worst mistakes that I see that's fairly common um, for somebody who's new, an advertiser who's new to doing remarketing, 
is when you're trying to think of, well, what am I going to say in my remarketing ad? It's kind of a, I would say maybe an instinct reaction to reference whatever people just did or saw, uh, you know, because as, as an advertiser, you're thinking, well, they came to my site, they saw ABC. Now let's, let's talk about the fact that they saw ABC. That is actually the thing that makes people think, uh, that you're creepy. Like, how did you know I was looking at sunglasses, right? You know, or something like that. Uh, and so generally speaking, um, if you know what a funnel is, now there's one of those terms that needs to go in the glossary, but a sales funnel is basically all the chain of events that takes people from hearing about you for the very first time and everything in between to actually making the sale. So, uh, and that, that may be, you know, two clicks long or, or one phone call long, but either way it is, it is a, a chain of events. And so if you can picture your chain of events, which is why I have the, the map that we'll talk about later, um, what you want to do is you don't want your ads to ever reference what they just did previously in the chain of events. You just want to proceed with talking about what they should do next. So it's not, your ad should not be, um, uh, hey, we noticed you put sunglasses in your shopping cart and failed. <laughs> and Jonathan, to you spent more than four and a half minutes on our site. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instead, it should just simply be, um, you know, uh, I'm not trying to feed anybody lines, but essentially here's, here's a coupon for your next order. So it's, it's under the hood. It's a recognition that they started to shop, didn't finish. Maybe they need an incentive to finish, and so you give them one, but you don't say, you know, go back and get those sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not what you did. It's what you should do next. That's, that's it. You got it. <laughs> okay. How about the issue of, it is quite annoying when you just go to like a website that you just wanted an answer from, and then you see ads from them for a really long time. Like what sort of durations do you normally set up? Yeah. So uh, here, here's another acronym. So there's this thing we call RFM. I just had somebody asking me about this this morning, actually. So RFM, uh, it stands for recency, frequency, and money. Money means like the amount spent usually. There's other applications too, but that's that's the rule of thumb. So what it means is that if, if you look at all the people who have visited your site in, let's talk about a month, for example. So in the course of a month, you're going to have people who came and left very quickly and did not come back again. Well, plain and simple, they're simply not interested. Now, you know, you could get, you, you could really geek out on the analytics and, you know, find statistical aberrations or whatever. Yeah. But in general, it's the people who have just been there that are the most likely to respond and take action when they see one of your other ads. Uh, and then same, so that's, that's the recency, the R. Frequency is not only were they just there, but somebody is coming back over and over and over again. So the only reason they're going to come back is if they are clearly interested. They want something uh, or they're liking what they see. Maybe they're entertained um, or maybe they're learning something or maybe they, uh, you know, maybe you've got one of each and they can't decide if they want the green one, the purple one or the blue one, right? <laughs> so they're going to keep coming back until they uh, are satisfied. <clears throat> those are so those are two indicators of somebody that you might call uh, a potentially high value uh, prospect customer and then the last one is somebody who's actually spent money so uh, for whatever reason it's pretty well statistically proven that somebody who has spent money 
is far more likely to spend money again. And somebody who spent a large amount of money is far more likely to spend money again, making, in other words, meaning like make a second or third purchase. So following that train of thought, um, in, in the technical setup of the audiences, you can look for these indicators, people who spend a lot of money, people who keep returning, or people who were just here yesterday, so on and so forth. So referring to the time one, recency, uh, you can just kind of picture this declining graph over time. So somebody who, if you, if you had a limited budget and could only run uh, just a little bit of remarketing, you would want to run it to the people who came yesterday because or, or, or even like 10 seconds ago I mean, ideally if, you would if you could i was actually just talking with perry about this too yeah there's there's uh no good common technical way to deal with an hour ago which there was because they would be the most valuable for sure generally the minimum is one day so everybody in the last day is the most valuable and that's where you put your most advertising dollars then kind of on a declining scale two three four days a week after that uh they're still pretty hot Generally speaking, uh, you'll do okay advertising to people through maybe the end of a month, so 30 days or so. Uh, Beyond 30 days, if people are still – of course, it depends. So, for example, in real estate, um, I was working with a client last year that did high-end real estate at kind of a vacation destination, and people would literally look for years at property there before they would make up their mind to buy so in a rare case like that, uh, the, the biggest, longest, maximum duration audience you can get uh, is the one for it. Because if somebody has, let's say they live in Washington, D.C., and they're looking at this place nearby that they, that they may want to buy from, they're going to be very choosy about it. They may take ages. And while they're taking their sweet time, you don't want them to forget that you are the real estate agent for them, right? Well, in that case, you probably want to apply some kind of frequency cap so that you're not. That's scary. true. Like yeah, so you can limit you can limit how many you show per day. So that's that example was uh, the unusual long end of the scale. Almost all of the businesses are, of course, there's some in between, but most, especially e-commerce, where something is going to be purchased online, uh, is on the other end of that scale. So it's very short. Somebody, uh, in most cases, most I would say eighty percent of online sales happen within an hour of the first click so same day and uh, in almost any adwords or facebook account you can actually see the graph of people who you know most people buy within an hour and then a few less during the rest of the day and even less the next day um yep so because of that short cycle you want to keep your ads uh spaced out according to how your buyers actually behave so nobody woke up this morning and decided oh i'm going to go to jonathan's website that's like they're on your website because they had a problem that they were trying to solve or something right. that, they, that they were trying to find. And they're not going to be trying to find that forever. That's exactly, hopefully not. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I think, um, another analogy that comes to mind is that every pub landlord knows that the most likely person to step into the pub is going to be the last person who left followed yeah. by the person who steps into the pub most, most frequently followed by the person who spends the most money in the pub overall. There you go. You got it. Yeah. So we're sort of prioritizing recency. So would you create a different audience, say, for people who've, you know, done something, you know, been on the website in the last day and then create like a two to 
seven-day audience or whatever it is. Exactly. And that, out of all the settings, when you go to build an audience, that's, in most cases, the easiest one to set. There's literally a little box where you type in how many days this audience should be for. And, and it's always – I see a lot of people get confused about this. Days is always like counting backwards from right now. So if I, if I build a one-day audience right this minute – uh, it's, it's basically one thirty in the afternoon here. Uh, if I built a one day audience, it's going to get as, as once that thing has filled up, it's going to be referring to anybody in the last 24 hours. And it does not matter if 24 hours is one thirty in the afternoon or six o'clock at night or midnight. It's always the past 24 hours and then same for the day. So <clears throat> if you build a 30 day audience, uh, it is referring to anyone who was on your website over the past 30 days, and it doesn't matter what today is. We're always counting backwards from now. Right. Yep. Got it. So the next thing in the list then is what triggers ads to stop? Uh, okay, so assuming that you have that, – that, that's funny. Uh, when you stop them. Um, <laughs> would you try? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so if if you do this the usual way, um, you will set up what we call a campaign and an ad set. So it's just a thing in your ad account that holds the ads, and then you say, uh, as we discussed earlier, you tell the the network show these ads to these people, and then because so these people is the audience because that is time limited. People are actually. Uh, automatically removed from the audience when they pass outside its parameters. What does that mean? Well, it means, as an example, if I set up an audience and the specifications are anybody who was on my site in the past seven days, well, as soon as somebody's, uh, you know, as soon as enough time has passed that their visit was eight days ago, they are now outside of the seven-day audience and will no longer uh, see the ads because they're no longer in the audience. So they just drop off the end. Yep. Yep. Do you ever um, do anything like if they, so if I'm on your site looking at, you know, Wellingtons and then I buy the Wellingtons. So I've achieved some kind of conversion. I've seen a thank you page. Yeah. Yep. So, so you so, can do it that way as well. So, so now here comes the topic of behavior. So what did people do on your site? The, the average website uh, hopefully has something for sale. <clears throat> Pardon me. It may not. It may have a sign-up form. Uh, it may have a phone number. It may have a, a free giveaway or a presentation to watch or a, an email list to sign up to. And all those things have different values. So the, the reason that we have uh, an email list or a presentation is with an awareness that not everybody's going to buy on their first visit. They may need to, to soak it up a little bit, dig in. And hopefully come back and buy after that. So in every case, you can I, when somebody takes an action, so an action can be make a purchase or fill out a form or subscribe, you can uh, sort of mark them when they have completed the action. And, and here's another one of these terms. We call them someone who has converted. So when somebody makes the purchase and the purchase is complete, that's a conversion. When they have opted into the email list and they've finished that process, that's also a conversion. And so the, there's a lot of ways to do it, but the easiest way to do it is when you make a purchase, you usually have a receipt page and when the purchase is all done. Uh, when you fill out a form, there's usually a thank you page after the form has been sent. And so you install um, 
pixel, <laughs> a little bit of code goes into that particular page, uh, or sometimes it can be just identified by the URL, uh, you know, octobermarketing.com slash thank you. And either way, we presume that the only way someone could have gotten to that page was because they made the purchase or filled out the form. Uh, and so we mark them as a converter. Then what you would do is in addition to all the other things we talked about when you're setting up your campaign or your ad group, you exclude anybody who has already done the action that those ads are asking them to do. So remember earlier we said your ad should be facing forward. If, if somebody started to shop and quit halfway through, you don't reference what they did. You just say, Hey, here's a coupon to come back and make your purchase. Well, you don't want to keep showing them that coupon after they did come back and make the purchase. So you exclude anybody who purchased. Or you show them something else. Or you show them something else. Exactly. Right. Yep. I find um, that I think often agencies in particular tend to confuse uh, conversions and leads. Like they'll report how many conversions there were and how many leads there were in the same terminology and actually yeah. a conversion is not a lead yeah. necessarily. Yep. So a conversion really is more like uh, any action that you want to measure is complete. So it's actually a very generic term. It should include, it should include everything. So uh, those people who made a purchase and the people who just became a lead or subscribed, they're all converters. In your, in your actual mechanics of your marketing automation or in your reports, um, you would simply want to split your conversions up into different categories and make it, if you're an agency doing this for your customer, uh, you just want to make it clear uh, who purchased versus merely signed up or called. Yeah. So it's also uh, like headline, headline conversions and then um, kind of indicators of future purchase intent. Yep. That's right. Uh, in terms of like getting tags and pixels on all of these pages, do you use Tag Manager or anything like that? Uh, I I have a love hate relationship with Tag Manager. I I don't use it. I, I I'm I'm like old school. I just like to go with and like mess around with scripts. But yeah. I the general population don't do that. Yeah. So um, Tag Manager was invented because every every ad network has its own pixel. So if you're running Google Ads, they have their own uh, right in your AdWords account. There's a place where you get this little bit of code, and supposedly you copy it from there and go paste it into your website. Um, for someone like me, that's uh, that's copy and paste, no problem at all. For uh, a lot of people, they're just not that technically inclined or don't want to deal with it, and it can be uh, pretty troublesome to get get this code installed well it becomes even more troublesome when you're trying to do it for google and for analytics and for facebook and for twitter and for linkedin and so on and so forth and so tag and manager got a webmaster who likes to charge you by in seven second increments to get these things <laughs> exactly yeah yep so um to sort of ease the pain google invented this thing called tag manager where you only ever go install code in your website just one time and then, so, or you only pay your webmaster to do it just once. Uh, and then, so ever after, if you run into a situation where you need a new bit of code, uh, either site-wide or per page, all you, supposedly all you do uh, is log into your Tag Manager account and set up a, a new little deal that's, you know, it's supposed to be 
uh, like drag and drop, uh, click friendly. Here's my code. I want it on all my pages or here's my code. I want it on these pages or I want it when this button is clicked. And uh, it's, it's an ingenious concept. Um, the funny thing is, is I have found that people find more ingenious ways to break that thing than you would ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and the number one, uh, the number one break is they don't install it right in the first place. So again, it, it was meant to make life easy because supposedly you only do it once. Well, if you only do it once and you did it wrong, uh, you've got a problem. On every you. time. Yeah. Yep. And now, in addition to that, um, <clears throat> this is kind of unexplainable, but I have fixed more problems by removing Tag Manager as a whole and then just reinstalling a fresh new copy of, of the network's pixel code directly, uh, even in cases where, like, it should work both ways, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah. that's sort of my experience as well. I'm like, I... Uh, uh, I'm probably wrong, but I just don't fully trust it. Yeah. Same here. Um, yeah. Do you use, uh, for, so for AdWords, you can also use Google Analytics to build your marketing. You can. So, so you can link your uh, analytics and AdWords account. They are both Google products and under the hood, you can click a button and Google will then start passing data back and forth between the two. Um, and what you can do then is if you go to, through the trouble of setting up all your tracking and measurements in analytics and on the analytics uh, platform, they're called goals. You set up these goals. So if somebody makes a purchase, that's a goal or fills out a form, that's a goal. Um, you can then import those automatically back from analytics into your AdWords account so that when you are uh, managing your ads, you can look at the reports or turn on the columns and see the people who have done these things. Um, that that's perfectly fine in general. Uh, it, it, it does what it's meant to do. The only thing about it is that <laughs> this is, this is really geeky and some of it, even I myself don't understand, but there's all these models, statistical models for how you evaluate automatically traffic that came from different places, did different things, and then became one of these conversions. And uh, every, every network, every tracking platform uses slightly different models. And actually, analytics and AdWords itself use two different models. Not only that, but there's a, a little bit of a delay. It can be as much as a whole day when you're waiting for data to pass back into AdWords. I've seen that uh, reporting conversions as well and e-commerce transactions. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And so for that reason, uh, personally, I prefer to just go ahead and use both separately. So use the tracking code that comes straight out of AdWords and separately use the code that comes from analytics. I once had a client who tried, who tried to insist that I reconcile the differences between analytics and AdWords. And let me tell you, that project didn't end well. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've had those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to skip through some of these other things and kind of pick apart things that I want to pick your brains on. That's, that's like, great. Go what ahead. What beer is all about Christmas? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so so on the Google Ads, uh, I think when most people think about remarketing, we think about remarketing on websites, so on the Google Display Network. Yes. But you could also remarket on Google Search yes. and on YouTube. Yep. And I think people don't know about that generally. Yeah. So within the whole scope of Google, 
there's really three things. Um, first is just your classic search ad. So people go to, to google.com and search for whatever's on their mind today. There's obviously all the, the usual, we call them organic listings, <clears throat> which is all the websites that Google has automatically found out there on the internet at large um, and, uh, you know, indexed and listed. But then you can sort of trump those listings by placing your ad, at the paid ad, at the top of the page above that. So those are the search ads. In addition to that, <clears throat> you can run multiple kinds of what we call display ads. Now, in short, display is either text only, image only, or a fusion of the two. And so this is the kind of deal where you're looking up the weather or the daily news, and at the you know right above the weather or over here on the side, you've got uh, little things loading, and in some cases, they can be animated. They don't have to be. Uh, when I quick story, so before I was a marketer, I was a technician for a web development company, and uh, when we had to set up that advertisement code to show those banners on websites, we called it dancing baloney. <laughs> <laughs> that slowed down a bit, but back in the days when it first came out, everybody was always animating that stuff, and <laughs> it, yeah. uh, it was pretty annoying. Yeah. Anyway, so so that's it. So then in addition to that, there's the video ads. Now, video ads can play on other sites, and it's actually getting to be more common. But in general, uh, when we say video ads, we are usually talking about YouTube and running video ads right there on the YouTube platform. So uh, everybody's seen these where you go to play whatever video you're wanting on YouTube, and some uh, ad runs first before you get to the content you were hoping to see. Yeah, so the, those are the, the three kinds. And remarketing then um, can control, so you, you can do it cold, fresh, with all the different targeting types, but including remarketing, showing your ads, whether it be search or images, banners, uh, or videos, again, can be just the people on your remarketing list. Mm. And that's probably, um, I guess, something that we were alluding to earlier is that cold traffic can be pretty brutal and maybe it makes more sense to focus more of your efforts on warmer traffic who are on some kind of remarketing list. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, if you've got a YouTube pre-roll ad, like you're probably going to like piss a load of people off by appearing at the start of their video. But if you're appearing to people who kind of know you in some way, exactly, maybe you're you're a bit more welcome. Than <laughs> And that, that, that is probably the major uh, marketing psychology point of the whole thing is that there, there's a presumption, and it's usually true, that if somebody has already taken a, a second or a minute or an hour out of their day to come look at your stuff, then they actually have some interest. There's, there's some reason behind it. Maybe, as we said earlier, they're trying to solve a problem, uh, trying to look for the right thing to buy. And not in 100% of the cases, but in most cases because they were voluntarily on your site trying to uh, find an answer to whatever it is they wanted, uh, then they are going to be much more accepting of your ad than if you're just some bozo they've never heard of before. I, I literally but, uh, hate no. I hate all of the ads in my Facebook newsfeed, and I don't know if I get targeted because I have marketing interests, but it feels like every single ad in my newsfeed is some chump posing in front of a helicopter offering me some seven-step system to instant yeah. gratification and wealth. Yeah. Basically calling me a dumbass for, like, not <laughs> not yeah. getting with the program. I'm like, you patronizing bastards. Like, I literally do not want to see any more of these, these you know, biz ops. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's and all that it seems to be. That kind of stuff is what gives uh, 
digital marketing a bad name, a bad rap. You know, people get, they just get tired of this stuff. So it's exactly why you want to do it right. And speaking to people that you know have an interest in you is definitely a big part of doing it right. Yeah, or it's some it's some marketer like posing in, in an office that obviously isn't theirs because the office contains only a Mac and a plant. And nothing else, no employees, no mess, no payroll machine or anything like that. Like, just doesn't stack up. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you tie these things together? So like if someone um, is, I don't know, if they've clicked on a Google search ad, do you then start popping up on YouTube and on Google Display? Yes. So um, in advertising as a whole, there's some principles of uh, ubiquity. So in other words, if I, if I first found you on a Google search, but I never ever see you anywhere else, your amount of attention or even my memories about you will be really narrowly defined to that one little thing. Whereas if I then also see your banner ads on other sites and, or, or your video ads on YouTube, um, now you're, you're coming to my attention a lot more, a lot more frequently and a lot more places and, uh, not only the frequency, but you're coming at me, I'm speaking as if you're the advertiser, right? But you're coming at me, uh, with different modalities. So first I just literally read about you with some words on a page. Then I saw some photos related to you. Now I'm hearing, seeing video and uh, if, if you're running YouTube ads, uh, seeing video and, and actually hearing things uh, with, and those things may seem really minor, but in fact, uh, that there's some very powerful psychology behind the information coming from from these different uh, different avenues. You know, reading it and hearing it and watching it happen. So that might be so. That might be so. In other words, that gets called an assisted conversion, for example. Yep. Exactly. So, and, and again, uh, if you think, if you remember what I said earlier about this thing we call a sales funnel is just all the different events that led up to someone first hearing about you and finally making the purchase, seeing your ad multiple times, you could, you could sort of consider each one of those has facilitated people's progress through that chain of events. Yeah. And so when they when they first search and then they see three ads and then maybe they finally get a video ad and they click and buy then all, all of them, including the first one and the, the ones in the middle um, played a part in that. And so, yeah, we call them an assisted conversion. Uh, by the way, the, the little confusing bit that we talked about earlier where we said the platforms have different models. Uh, this is part of it. So if somebody saw five ads, which ad are you going to say is the one that brought the conversion? The first, the last, the one in the middle, all three, uh, do they have different weights? And so this is where this modeling <laughs> stuff yeah. comes from is these kinds of uh, minor enigmas. It's not too much of an enigma because everything they ever saw from you uh, helped, helped the journey. Yeah. It, I mean, I guess this is another thing that I've run into in the past where you've got clients who are kind of objectively trying to determine exactly what input, what yes. ad impacted one sale and you just can't figure it out. And actually yep. it's not help it's it's not even helpful to figure it out because you only it's need not. to you only need enough insight to make decisions on what ads to run. Yeah. I, I've got a little story related to that I want to come back to in a second, but before I tell that story, so related to what we just said there, um, so people seeing your ads different times a day, coming to them different ways. 
then uh, also then is all the different places they can see your ad. So obviously a search ad literally happens on google.com. A video YouTube ad happens on youtube.com. But if you then stack on other platforms, so now they are also seeing your ads when they go to Twitter. They're also seeing your ads when they go to Facebook or on LinkedIn and many other platforms. Um, You begin, so here's an interesting thing. If you're a small advertiser, and you can put your ads on even just three of those different platforms. So uh, um, Google ads, Facebook, and YouTube, for example, um, you begin to look even on a very small remarketing budget, you begin to look like you're a, a mass advertiser with a billion dollar budget. I mean, I, I, I know people who've done systems like this multi-channel, we call it and had people have told them, I see you everywhere. Yep. Uh, you must be as big as Coca-Cola because I can't get away from your ads, right? And they think that you're just spending billions on ads and you must be this big company when in fact you're not. You're, you're very carefully showing your ads only to the people who are interested in you. But this uh, method, tactic of, of showing your ads in multiple places causes people to, to really see you spread out throughout the day. It's kind of like... Um, I'm a little bit of a geek, so I can't help but geek out sometimes. But uh, if if by any chance you like to ride a bicycle and you ride at night and you have bicycle lights, uh, you may have noticed if you have two small lights and you put them on your handlebars apart, some car looking at you from a thousand yards away sees that as one big light. They don't see the two little lights. Uh, and, and it's kind of this magnification effect. And, and having your ad on multiple sites, it has a very similar magnifying effect. One plus one does not equal two, it equals yeah. 12, so. Yeah, exactly. So, to, to now here's the story to make this real. So, I was working with a client that uh, they sold copperware, so copper uh, kitchen stuff, <laughs> pots and pans and plates and whatever made out of copper, And what they found was that when they ran Facebook traffic, um, it seemed like the Facebook traffic was not profitable. So all this money spent on Facebook ads, uh, people are clicking and they're not buying according to the Facebook tracking. But, But their AdWords campaigns on Google search were very profitable. And when they shut the Facebook ads off, their Google campaign dried up. So what was happening was people were on Facebook, uh, you know, just chilling out, wasting time on Facebook, saw this ad about this copperware stuff and thought, oh, that looks pretty. But instead of clicking and buying, they were actually going over to Google and taking the time to search uh, either for copperware in general or for the company's name. Then they were buying, uh, you know, through Google. Of course, the fact of the matter is, both halves had to be there for that to work. They had to, they, they were not going to go to Google and search because they never heard of the stuff before. They only knew about it once they'd seen the Facebook ad, but then they weren't buying from Facebook. So the, it's like two legs of a, of a, of a system that really cannot work separately. So this is the problem with, with some clients, as you mentioned, want to know, you know, okay, we're running uh, three different platforms and five different kinds of ads, which one's working. Well, <laughs> That sounds off. like my. That sounds like my dad. So my, so my dad might see something on Facebook, and then he'd be like, "Oh, I'll I'll go and buy that," but he won't click on the ad because he doesn't trust it or whatever, and he doesn't 
he doesn't enter the URL of a website directly into the browser. He will go to www.google.com yeah. and then enter in the search box <laughs> the website. Yeah. And then enter the, enter the yes. URL of the website in the search That's box. Yeah. And then you get a branded, so that's a branded keyword. And then, and then the advertiser's ad pops up and he clicks on that because it's, it's, it's at the top of the search page. Yeah. So that, this is a little departure from remarketing, but this brings up um, why we run what's called a brand campaign. So it's kind of weird. Almost all of my clients, not just my clients, but I see this all over the place. It's a common problem. Uh, advertisers, the business thinks that it's a, a waste of time and a waste of money to run ads on their own name, their own brand name, their own company, their own website. Uh, it's kind of like, well, people already know me. If they're searching for me, they're going to find me one way or the other, and why pay for it? Well, it's simply because people are doing exactly what you just described. The, you know, the company comes to their attention for the first time. Now they go search by name. Uh, maybe even they're literally searching for your URL, www.u.com. Infrastructure uh, so, is so much when he does it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you, as an advertiser, you literally want to be there uh, to capture that. And, and there's, so, so why not just rely on the organic listing? Well, um, for one thing, the organic listing is not reliable. Depending on uh, your name, your product name or whatever, uh, there on any given day, there may be something else showing up in the organic search above you. Uh, that's part one. Part two, though, is that you don't get to control what the organic search result says. Whereas, there's also a positioning thing in it. So the first organic link is in what position four on the page? Usually, yes. Yep. So if you're like, okay, I was going to get to that in a second. But so that's the other thing is if you're not doing it, somebody else is going to do it for you, right? So <laughs> one way or another, your competitors or somebody else's Amazon. Target is going to be running an ad that's somehow related to that. It's just bound to happen sooner or later. And they're going to be above you one way or the other. So you, you, you don't want someone else. Think about it. You literally paid for that. So if you ran a Facebook ad and, and, and you paid for that ad, and now somebody goes to Google, they did what you wanted them to do. They started taking action towards making a purchase. But if they go to Google and search and somebody else uh, gets the click, <laughs> You actually just help your competitor. You've already done the hard work and you just didn't close the deal because, yep. you, you, didn't, because you, you didn't want to pay for the final step. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, to, to wrap up what I was going to say in the middle, with an ad, it, pretend for a moment you have no competitors and, and that stuff that we just described doesn't happen. Well, even in that case, uh, if you're running an ad, you can say exactly what you want to say in your headline and such about yourself or your product and you can send them to the exact page you want them to go to, which may not be the page that Google had uh, organically indexed. So you might send them to a product page or an ordering page or whatever it is. Yeah, or, or, a, not, or a, not a, a not a product category page that has exactly. literally no information on it. Or... Yep. Yeah, you may send them to uh, what we call a sales page, a sales letter, or a video presentation, or or anything else that's gonna focus people's attention better than just going to the, the product page. I think the thing that annoys me, so the, the other side of the coin though, is I sometimes see AdWords agencies who are bidding very aggressively on branded keywords and then they include, because obviously branded keywords convert really well because the conversion, yes. obviously they convert really well because Facebook's already, already done all the hard work for you or, or, <laughs> or, or whatever else. 
and then so there's a lot of agencies reporting these numbers in the in with the AdWords figures, and it's like, well, was that really your work? It's like you know, if if I'm paying an AdWords agency, I want them to kind of find new people, not just muddy the water by getting a whole <laughs> load of easy brand name conversions, and then telling yeah. me that I've I've had you know a thousand conversions this month are an awesome cost per conversion we're actually a lot of those were people that you know were pretty close to buying anyway really yes so um it's a good point i mean plain and simple on the report it just needs to designate which ones came from brandon yeah, just 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 send two reports or take them out yeah. I'm, I'm actually not a big fan of massive reports with lots of detail because the truth of the matter is even though clients um appear to be very pleased with massive detail it doesn't do them any good because they don't understand why your campaigns are set up and the structure that they're set up in or that's the that's the the agency's job right so you don't want to drown clients with endless info but a few basic fundamentals and that and and brand versus cold traffic versus remarketing are probably off the top of my head the three biggest segments versus youtube Uh, if you're doing it yeah and because then if they know that, because you're, you're remarketing, just in case in case this wasn't already clear, um, we were just describing this little scenario where somebody sees a Facebook ad and then manually goes and searches on Google. Well, <clears throat> the fundamentals there are very similar to remarketing. So it's, it's a two-part process. That part is the same. And so whether it's through remarketing or through your branded search, you as an agency, you want your client to be able to see those parts of your AdWords account in this case, which are being strongly influenced by the other. Cause then when they, you know, let's say I'm the AdWords guy and somebody else is running their Facebook ads, which, which is the case. And when you're working with me, um, I want my AdWords report to be able to help my client make good decisions about their Facebook ads. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, give them enough uh, detail to do that. But Not some ridiculous stuff about, about fighting over the conversion. Yeah. 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 Good. Um, I'm going to suggest that we sort of wrap up the remarketing or the retargeting journey part, and then we'll call it a day for this Just and then maybe do another session on the <laughs> setup next time. Maybe. Um, what else do we need to talk about? I think we've covered the scope pretty well. Um, so when I've asked, I have asked people what their biggest challenge is with, uh, with, with setting up remarketing. And invariably, it's that they don't, first, they don't understand the big picture. So hopefully we covered that pretty well. Then second, uh, they don't know how to do it. Now, again, the fundamentals, the technical part of doing it uh, in terms of logging into your ad account and setting this stuff up is by and large the same as for any other ads. And, and of course we're not going to go over how to set up a, an ad account right now, but I will just say one thing about the setup that a lot of people seem to miss um, that they get confused over it. And to me it's simple. It becomes simple when you view the whole thing as that same journey, the series of events that I talked about earlier and what I've done to make it simple to keep track of the whole thing is I actually write down the journey. So uh, of course the journey can be many different ways and you don't have to tackle them all at once. You can start with a single, uh, single campaign. So 
you have somebody who has come to your website, doesn't matter how they got there, but they came to your website. That's, that's like you write that down as step one. And then step two is they see an ad. So very simple. They came to your site. Now they're going to see an ad. That ad is sending them to a second page. Now, this can go on very long. It can, it can be it can be that short, two pages, or it can be multi-part. But if it is multi-part, you just literally want to write down those pages at, and number them. One, two, three, four. It's that simple. And your ads, you picture your ads as simply helping someone get from one page to the other. So they touch this page, page one. They got in the audience for page one. Now you're running ads to the people in that audience, page one, audience one, but you're sending them to page two. It's like a hop. And, and if you graph that out, um, it, it just becomes a whole lot easier. And if you're doing anything that is time-based, you do the same thing. The short segment of time is like audience one. The longer is audience two. And uh, all, all the long audiences are like all-inclusive. So in other words, if you have a one-day audience and a seven-day audience, then during day one, people are in both at the right. same time. And if you're running both at the same time, they would on day one, they would see the ads from both. Well, if you meant to use that as a chain of events, in other words, show certain ads the first day and other ads the rest of the week, what you do is in the in the ad set or campaign for the longer audience you exclude the short so if if you if you graph it out linear one two three four five then what you do is as you move along to the to the right if you're an english speaking person uh or or climbing up the numbers you exclude all of the younger or the younger audiences the ones with the smaller number now i, I made that more confusing it sounded so, more so in 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 simpler english it's like you're in five audiences on day one and that's time passes some of those audiences exactly and then to avoid because the time duration elapses yeah them. and to avoid seeing all five at once at the beginning you exclude those younger sets from the from the campaign for the older group <laughs> so it's almost like you're customizing the uh so rather than following people around you're you're actually switching the ads up based on based yes on yep and that's it's not essential i mean even one single remarketing ad with one message is way better than none. But as soon as possible, as, as you uh, move forward with this kind of adventure, you want to be showing people uh, different messages. So you're describing your product from different angles and uh, stating different things about it. Um, that actually might be a good spot for you to talk a little bit about messaging and how some of that plays into all of this. Cause what I covered was the technical part. Well, figuring out what, you need to say in, in all of these things. Um, I mean, so I guess from my perspective, it's like you, you have to consider how much they know about you. And obviously you're kind of guessing a little bit based on, based on what they did. So if you've got a remarketing audience of people, of everyone who visited your website, then, you know, that doesn't really tell a huge amount. Whereas if you're creating different audiences who've used certain pages, then obviously you're going to customize the ads a little bit. Obviously we're not, creeping them out by, t by telling them what they did we're going to tell them what they should do next but you know that gives you some more clues as to what as to what you might do with that mm -hmm. 
Um, something that I'm sort of experimenting more with, and you know, Perry's been talking about this recently, is just testing like a wider range of creative. Like, like it's like I th- I feel like um, when I've done this with clients, it's like we'll create like one remarketing ad and we'll test it five different ways. Or, or we'll create one remarketing ad that says basically come back to my site and buy, and we'll and we'll and we'll change the image on it every two days so that so that people see a slightly different image. But actually, what, what you're doing is you're still nagging people for like you know thirty days to come back to the site. It's like you're not you're not really switching it up. Um, and it might be that you know if they if they haven't so so perhaps initially perhaps you run some kind of ad that invites them to come back and buy but if they don't come back and buy in the next few days then maybe you want to send, send them to a video or, mm-hmm. or send them to a blog post or, or change up the offer so i think changing up the offer isn't really being thought about and talked about enough it's like we're just ha- it's like we're just hammering people over the head with the same offer that they've already said no to and we're hammering them over the head because we can do because google and facebook give us the machinery to be able to do that and it's like well is is that right i don't know like so oh, no, it, it, it's not right. You, you don't want to just stand there and jump up and down and yell, bye, bye, bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the way you said it is exactly right. I mean, you people begin to shop and they leave the shopping cart for all kinds of reasons. Maybe their phone rang. Maybe their dog barked. Maybe it was time to go to a meeting. Uh, so at the beginning, and this is that recency uh, thing that we talked about earlier, at the beginning, just simply reminding them to come on back and finish shopping is fine. But you don't want to jump up and down and keep saying bye, bye, bye for, for the next 30 days. So you would at some point, you would switch to what, what we generally call nurturing content instead of sales content. You want, you want to describe that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, so if, if it were like a natural conversation, it's like, and like we were just, so let's say that I've been on your website and like rather than running remarketing as to me, you were just having a conversation with me. It's like, how would that conversation actually go? It's like, you wouldn't just say the same thing over and over on repeat because I think in the nicest possible terms, I think you're a bit of a dickhead. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, so it's a natural conversation. It doesn't work like that. We, uh, we, we, we listen, we adjust. And, you know, I guess the listening version of this is, is figuring out how recently someone was on the site, what pages they were looking at. If they come back to the site, then obviously that resets the recency. But what pages were they looking at? That's the listening aspect of it. Um, sorry, my mind's gone black. What, what was the question again? Yeah, that's great. So just describe the what nurturing content is compared to sales content. Right, 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 right. right. So, so, so if you're nurturing, then I guess um, my definition of nurturing would be, you know, so I, I do a lot of this by email. And I think when people mention the word nurture, we often think of emails and stuff like that. But it's really building a stronger relationship with someone and setting the groundwork for a future sales conversation, even though they're not quite ready for that sales conversation today, but they might be ready in the future. So I think so. So, so for me, the goal—the goal of a nurture—you know, whether that's a nurturing video on you know, that you're promoting on YouTube through remarketing or nurturing. Um, nurturing email or whatever the first goal is to entertain you know if i can't entertain you whether that's by telling stories or you know or, or whatever then it's just not going to get my attention second goal is to educate you is to is to you know get you thinking about my subject in a slightly different way 
And then the third goal is to upgrade your level of thinking about what I do. And, you know, so actually, you know, if anyone does ever listen to this audio, then hopefully there's something in here that will, will you know, they, they may have been entertained. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't know about that. They'll definitely have been, been educated, but then hopefully will have also have, have um, upgraded their level of thinking about remarketing and they'll view it and they'll view the entire topic in a different way. And that, I mean, you know, in terms of this audio, that, that is a, it's a similar thing. It's, it's that, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And, and, and last but not least, if you have listened to this this long, now you know two guys that actually do this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So should we kind of wrap up? And so I guess like in terms of, I mean, my, my take on steps in terms of where, where people would start is I think people need to, people need to process, need to prioritize recency mm-hmm. and then think about RFM. So, so you're not running remarketing. I mean, obviously this depends a little bit on how much data that you've got. If you've got a lot of website traffic, then it makes a lot of sense to target very short yes. audiences. Yeah. If you get, if you get like seven men and his dog on your website, you know, every, you know, every two weeks, it's like, you're probably going to have to set bigger or longer audience durations. Exactly. So the, the trouble with this is that for a, a low volume site, low volume, just meaning that, you know, you're, you're, you're not that big of a stuff and you don't get that many people to your site. Uh, uh, the audiences themselves have minimum. So on uh, there's, there's different cases for all these, but in general, um, on Facebook, the minimum is a hundred and on Google, the minimum is a thousand. And so, uh, if you don't have, let, let, let's say you only get 500 people a month. Well, if you had a 30 day audience, um, then you would never, you, your audience would never have a thousand people in it. If it's 30 days and you only get 500 people in 30 days. So the solution in that case is to build a bigger audience. So two months or, or three months. So it's, um, so it's yeah. like the theory of bottlenecks, isn't it? It's like if the yep. bottleneck is you've already got the audience and they're not buying, then you, then you need to think about, you know, RFM and are, is, are your audiences yep. correct? If you've so got the audiences, then you need to get more people in the audiences. Exactly. So it, it, it's kind of like sophistication follows scale, I guess you could say. So when things are uh, small and starting out, you, you may literally have just one general all visitors audience and that's all you get. Uh, the second one you would build would be your converters. Now, as your site grows and you get a lot more people to it, then you can start uh, breaking down the segments in, in time and uh, other things we haven't talked about, like which pages they visited. But every one of those things becomes a subdivision, and you can't uh, can't subdivide unless you can do it and still stay above the minimums. I suspect that for many business owners, you probably need to have someone on your team who can who understands what you're doing, but they can also think through a lot of this stuff. Yes. Yep. Because um, it is. It, it is. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be complicated, but it is a bit overwhelming, especially as you break it down into a more granular level. For sure, and it is pretty easy to get uh, mentally tongue-tied, whatever that is. So get confused about how the the order things go in and how they interact with each other. Or it's like you, you because you you can remarket on Google, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. It's like you don't have to do all those things. In one no, way. no. Yep. So yeah. And, and that's a good point. So a lot of the things we talked about today, you, you simply wouldn't start off that way. I, I, I there's a fellow that gave away uh, for a while. He called it a, a million clicks blueprint. So it was his plan for how you can get a million clicks to your site in a year. Uh, 
because that's gonna because that's gonna lead to money into your bank accounts. And that's the point, and it, and it did. I mean, he actually did this stuff well, but people would ask him, so how long does it take for you to set that up for me? And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> you don't really even ask that question. You just, you know the sequence that there's a hundred parts to it and you build it one part right. at a time. Right. Yeah. And cool. you'll, you'll change things as you go. The uh, I love to strategize and it's it, you definitely want to plan, but you can't, you especially when you start thinking about the content, like what you're going to say, uh, you really can't massively pre- you don't know what's going to work. System, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess it would be a case of thinking about well, what are the bottlenecks in your business? Is it the audience size? Is it the you know if you've already got a big customer database, then you know you can upload those people to Facebook yeah. and Google and, and wherever else. So so be thinking about well, where's the bottlenecks? Um, what does the funnel look like? What, so what do your sales steps look like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you were talking earlier about, you know, they visit, they visit, they visit the website and then you send them back to this page. Yeah. Like, you know, so I guess it would be thinking through that. Um, through the steps and write them down. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess just get an ad set up and get some data on it and see what is working. That's it. Um, my sort of perspective on this is, is it's like I, I sometimes find that clients spend way too long like strategizing over this and not getting stuff live and unless unless until you get an ad live is it's just wasted time it's like it's like don't don't pontificate forever on it just yeah yeah i i, I would dare say that is Maybe not for everybody, but there tends to be a certain kind of entrepreneurial type that does digital marketing, period. They're, you know, the people who are here doing this. And uh, for whatever reason, strikes me, they I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, we're all kind of heady. We, we, we like the capabilities, the possibilities. Uh, and I just, oh, you know, I've been doing this for years now. And over and over, I see people just get stuck. Uh, literally on the opportunities and what can be done and thinking about how it should be done. And it's not that I want people to waste money, but honestly, uh, it's almost worth just getting on there. Don't think about it. Click a bunch of buttons and run the worst possible ad and spend $10. And then there it's like a pressure relief. Now that you've done it and you burn through $10. Now uh, you've got that behind you and you can get to work and, and you never know your first $10 may have done you some good. And, and and don't and it will be ten dollars because if you if you're talking to people who've been on the website in the last one day, it's like exactly. it's like you're, you're never going to lose that much money, and you'll you're learn something. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So remarketing is inherently limited. You're you're never going to. I I know people who's like gone to do cold Facebook track uh, uh, targeting, uh, clicked the wrong thing, and ended up like you know just just showing their ads to everybody in the United States and then no further filter or something like that. Hey, you know, you, you literally wake up the next morning with a $10,000 bill that you can't pay doing that kind of thing. With and, and, and you know what happens is if you ring up Facebook and complain that your ads aren't converting and they tell you to spend more. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so, so yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a, it's like a ready fire aim approach, not a ready aim. Fire. It really is. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's, it really is the number one thing that I've seen people get permanently stuck on. I've seen, I was talking to a gentleman the other day. He said he goes to some of these uh, digital marketing conferences, uh, meetups. And he said in some cases he's been going to some of them for like five years. 
he keeps going to them because he's doing business and, and learning stuff. And, uh, but he knows he runs into people who are there for their third, fourth, fifth year, still learning, still paying to be there and haven't done it yet. Haven't actually built their system. Yeah. And that's just pointless. You, you gotta get started. I also suspect that like most tasks in marketing, like, like we, we talk about, you know, building a funnel or setting up a landing page. And it's like, actually, when it comes down to it, most things take longer than you think they're going to take, mm-hmm. even when you know exactly what you want to do. So yeah. I do a lot of work in Infusionsoft. Um, like I basically, I'm technically competent. I, I know what I'm doing. And like, um, unless you're surrounded by a huge team, everything just takes a long time. So maybe it's 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 better to keep it slightly simpler in the beginning and just get something. For sure. And get yes. Some data. Yep. If you found this episode helpful, you can continue your education with us through our Maze Insider membership program. As a Maze Insider, you'll get our monthly print newsletter, a monthly members-only webinar, plus unlimited support from myself and Jonathan through our private Google group. Go to mazemarketingpodcast.com forward slash insider and enter the promo code podcast at checkout for a free one month trial.